So today's scriptural passage is from Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, 11 to 14, and then 22 to 29. If you want to follow along, it's on the PowerPoint in the Bible. Pew Bibles, it's uh, 1075. So, chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by observing the law or by your believing what you heard? Verse 11... Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, whoever does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And verse 22. Hold on. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was put in charge of us until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This morning I was sitting and thinking about the um, number of people involved in our worship service. And uh, we have uh, ushers and deacons and music people and all kinds of people cooperatively participating in an effort to, to focus things toward the Lord. And it is so encouraging, so exciting to see us as a team saying that we're here for a sense of purpose. We have people that are going as missionaries to other places. Again, showing that our church has a desire to do more than just focus on itself. Again, I give praise to God for such wonderful brothers and sisters. Today, as we have heard in the Scripture, this is a, a bit of a different uh, focus for us, but it's one of the nice aspects of going through a book. We started a while back as we looked at Galatians chapter 1 and then Galatians chapter 2 and today is Galatians chapter 3 and I would like 
to think that we can find a way to put these together more on a weekly basis. And next year, that's one of our goals. But um, today, I, I couldn't help but reflect on the environment in which Paul was preaching this particular message because it reminded me of what some of my experiences and missions have been in that um, after I finished school the first time, I um, went to Hong Kong in 1975, not knowing what to expect, uh, not having a clue what, it, what church life was going to be like or what it was going to be like to be learning other languages and that kind of thing. But uh, eventually God gave me the opportunity to start a church and to to pastor that church. And it was not because of my great wisdom or skills or knowledge. It was basically me wanting to experience God in my life. To be very honest with you, I had not had all of the courses in how to start a church that I should have probably taken. But back in the day, in seminary, that was one of the courses they didn't teach. And so I really managed to stumble in and try things and fail and try things and succeed and mix it all together. And somehow God, in spite of it all, blessed the work. And um, it was a, an amazing experience. But after three and a half years, I got a, a local man who took over and became the minister of that church. And he has pastored in that church all the way to the point that he took retirement this last year. And then I had opportunity to start another church. Because by that time, I began to really grasp that God can protect His own church. And that the starting of a church was never about me or my ability, but it was about me expecting much of God and then stepping out and following Him wherever He led. So it was a marvelous experience, but... I also discovered that as the years went by, from time to time I would be invited back to visit our church or to speak in our church and to be with, and be with the brothers and sisters. And the thing I kept discovering every time is the church had changed a little. Not saying it was worse, many times much better in areas that I would not have even thought to have gone or taken the church. But each time I came back, I found something a little different. And it was exciting in some ways. Well, Paul, when he was writing to the churches in Galatia, in Galatia there, he was looking at these churches and finding that they had been through some different experiences. And by way of reminder, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Galatians, we have to remember that Paul had gone back to visit these churches and kind of reminded them, don't forget, I have always loved you. I've always been concerned about you as a church. Again, the same feeling I have when I go back and visit any of the different churches that we have been a part of starting and pastoring. It's a wonderful feeling. And Paul went back and he said, guys, I care about you. And so he went back and he shared his testimony with them. He reminded them of all the issues that he had been through or the various issues he had been, been experiencing throughout his life. And he shared about how he had persecuted the church, had people killed in the name of his government. Because these people were calling themselves Christians, he did not care for them in the old days. And he talked about all of those things. He talked about how he became a Christian. He shared his salvation story with these people. He even shared that 14 years he had spent after he became a believer, 
in another area of the country. And that he had traveled and he had done ministry working with Gentiles, which were like the people in Galatia. He said, I understand all of these things because God has had this great experience for me called life and he took me one step at a time. I had no idea when I took my first step at crucifying and criticizing and persecuting the church that I would one day become a full-time minister. I had no idea that I would ever be in connection with Gentiles because I studied to work with the Jewish leadership. My education is focused in that direction. But God led me each and every day. And He led me a way that I did not ever plan for. And I would say to you and say to me, that's the best way to live life, is to follow what Christ has for us. And yet it's a little threatening because you don't know what the next step will be. And God may lead you in a certain way and even as you're being led, you're saying, this seems crazy to me. This is not a path that my mom and dad had for me. This is not the the way that I think things should be going. But if we'll walk with joy, somehow God will do His miraculous work and make our lives so fulfilled and so meaningful. And that's what Paul was saying to them in chapter 1 and 2 is, I've watched God lead me. You have watched God lead me. You didn't plan it. I didn't plan it. But it's the way things went. Paul challenged the Galatian church. He was designed as a human being with his education to minister one way, but he was working cross-culturally as he was reaching out to the Gentiles who were looked down upon by many of the Jews. And yet, it was that very reality that allowed him to come back to this Galatian church and say, brothers and sisters, and speak to them. So finally, after he reminds them in chapter 1 and 2 who he is, and he tells them honestly, I had arguments with Peter, and Peter wanted to work in this way. I told Peter his way of working was wrong. I went to Jerusalem and I gave a report. All of these things Peter, I mean, Paul is describing for the people in Galatia. He admitted all of his difficulties, his weaknesses, but he said, in spite of it all, God works. Praise God. And so when we move on into chapter 3, we see Paul moving beyond his self-introduction and reminder of who he is. And he begins to do some teaching. And so he moves into chapter 3 and he talks about probably one of the foundational topics for a Christian. Justification by faith. Justification by faith. It's the very core of our identity because it says that we have responsibilities and rights as followers of Christ, not because of our activity, and what we do, and our works, and how often we're in a committee in our church, and how many times we go and do uh, preparation for this project or that kind of project, but because of Jesus. Because of our faith in Jesus. It's because of our faith, not because of our actions. And in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, we can see that Paul presented the Galatians with a gospel 
that included the definition of justification by faith. Being justified because Jesus went to the cross to wipe away our sins. Jesus became our substitution for our sins. There was a reason that Jesus went to the cross. It was in order that He would place the sins of men, you and me, on Himself, even though He did not deserve to be put on that cross. Paul began with a very rational and personal presentation. But he asked the Galatians how they themselves could have misunderstood where the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, came from. Had they somehow forgotten that the Holy Spirit came upon them not because they had studied about it, not because they had spent hours in Bible study, or been to church services forever and a day, but it was because of their faith. Paul said, your faith is what has set you free. He emphasized that the following of the law brings not the Holy Spirit, but that the Holy Spirit only comes in our faith. Therefore, how and why do we change away from that what we know to be true? That was his challenge. If the Holy Spirit is a great result of faith, and we know that fact, what would motivate us to become law Christians? What would, would, would help us to think that we could redefine it based on just what we know in our head? He refers to it sometimes as the law, and in this same Scripture sometimes it's referred to as dependency on the flesh. Both ways the emphasis to say, Dependence on works. And he's trying to remind them, stop it. He's asking, why would you ever come up with these conclusions? Sure, we do need to recognize that cultural, rea- that cultural realities of the day and life setting certainly impacted the life of the Galatians. They were Gentiles. And uh, Paul also mentions the Judaizers in chapters 1 and 2, talking about the people that believed These were Jewish people who claimed to be Christians but demanded certain Jewish customs be placed upon all that would call themselves Christians. And indeed, Paul had uh, talked about taking Titus and others and traveling to Jerusalem to give reports. And he said, you know, when when we went to make the reports, we were aware that the potential was there, that the Jewish Jewish so-called Christians at that point we're going to put extra pressure on Gentiles to become like them in following their customs. And he said, you know, all of that, are, those are efforts of the flesh. And he challenged them with that. Basically, in verses 1 to 5, what I read, when I read this, because for me, every time I look at Scripture, I'm trying to ask, what is there in here for me? Chapter, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, he said, foolish 2016 VCBC members. You know who Christ is and what He has done. One question. Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life because of your earning relationship with Him or because of your faith? Are you really so foolish to depend on your own efforts to build your relationship with the Lord? Again, what is more important? Following rules and being busy in committees? are living daily in faith. I'm not saying committees are bad. 
Don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to find and say all of our work is wrong. What we're saying is you begin with faith, and because of our faith, we seek out ways to serve our Lord. But it's not that we begin with the activities and the work and the things that keep us busy and then think we have faith. The activities do not guarantee a reflection of faith. You and I, me, I'll talk about me even if you don't want to hear it. I believe that I need more faith. I need to be more trusting that God is God. That He can do what He wants to do with me and with you. He has things that He, he dreams about that would, be, that would be a reflection of the fact that I am so dependent that I believe miracles happen. Unfortunately, I'm quite a failure at that. I find myself wanting God to fit within my box, within my definition of what He should and who He can be. For the Galatians in verses 1 to 4, Paul simply says, I don't get it. I don't get it. He said, who bewitched you? He knows what they have seen and experienced, yet they have reverted back to dependency on their own abilities and understanding. Just as the Galatians who had experienced persecution and trials for their faith, we must sometimes look extremely disappointing to our Lord. Why do we find consistency and being dependent on the Lord so difficult? Where does your faith come from? Is it from the Holy Spirit that He completely controls your life? Have you had a time in your life when you knew what it was like to make every decision based on prayer and dependency? It may have been in a difficult time. And even in the midst of the difficulties and the problems and the struggles, there was a sense of relief that you knew you were close to God. You knew He was real in your life. Paul was challenging to say, is your faith in your head or is your faith in your heart? Brothers and sisters, that's a question we all have to ask ourselves. What is the source of my so-called faith? I use the word so-called so much as to ask, is your faith real? Is it what makes you a true Christian? He moves from that personal time in verses 1 to 5. It's a personal approach and a personal description, an individual description, trying to help them to understand justification of faith. And he moves into more of a scriptural approach. He knows his audience. He knows the congregation. And he says, this is a bunch of people that know the Bible. They have a respect for the Scripture. These are people who try to understand whatever God would say. They, they do have a, a desire there to learn. Because they respect it, I'm going to remind them of who Father Abraham was in our lives. Speaking to the Galatians, he spoke using in a, a, a language that would communicate. I often ask myself, What is the language we need to communicate with ourselves today in the year 2016 in Canada? In Canada, we have a different environment than what they have in the United States, what they have in Hong Kong, what they have in China. We are here in 2016. What communicates with us? 
What would be the equivalent of a reminder such as saying, Father Abraham was this way? As I looked, Abraham was viewed as righteous. That was the emphasis of who he was. He was righteous based on Genesis 15, 6 and 12, 3 where it describes Abraham's responsibility that indeed this Abraham was going to be the father of the nations and his blessings were going to become the blessings of others. Abraham was not created just for his own good. He was created to be a blessing to the nations. In Habakkuk 2.4, it says, The just shall live by faith, Becoming just or justified is tied to the righteous identity that we find in Christ. We all know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And it also is a reminder that it is through grace that we are saved. It's not through our knowledge that we are saved. It's not through our works that we are saved. It's not through the law that we are saved. If you today are sitting in this room and are truly a Christian, it's only because at least one time in your life, in your experience, you knew what it was to be dependent on God beyond, beyond your own ability. It's through grace. It's through faith. It's, it's through the amazing miracle of recognizing God's position and our position. His position being the Creator God that loves us all and is willing to give us a way to be justified before Him. And so he goes through verses 6 through 25 and talks about Abraham and speaks of the various aspects of his life. And he says, you know, Abraham was a true man of faith. And if you remember Abraham's story, we all realize Abraham was married. He had a wife who at the age of 90 birthed, birthed children. My goodness, 90 years old birthing children? That's a miracle. For sure. Why did it exist? Because of faith. Because of faith. Because of a faith that God can do all things. His belief was the core of his identity. It is for that reason that if you look at the name of the sermon that I wrote today, I put down, faith honors God and God honors faith. The reason I said that, brothers and sisters, I want to dream that our church would be so hungry for the Holy Spirit to guide us that in all things our faith would honor God. And because of our faith honoring God and our willingness to stretch out beyond our own ability, beyond our own skills, beyond our own understanding, because we're that kind of a church, God will bless this church. You know, there's nothing any stranger than stranger to me than to see a church at the end of a service ask and say, we're going to have a blessing now. Then they pray one of Paul's blessings. Oftentimes they do not bless the church using their own words. But in truth, I want God's blessings. I don't even want the blessings of Paul. I want the blessings of God. I want us to pray and ask His blessing upon us. And I want it to be because, not that we're actually worthy, but that at least we are approaching Him with the right attitude. Through faith through belief, through trust. This morning we sang a song talking about trust. In our church, in many ways, in different congregations, we have different issues, but 
The issue of trust and obey. Trust is hard to establish, or especially difficult to reestablish. We have to be risk takers and trust others. We may get hurt again, but we still have to trust. We have to believe. We have to have faith. The good news for you and me is, whether you trust me or not, that's your issue. But trusting God is not truly much of an option. We need to trust God. We must trust God. We must have faith and belief. In this scripture, describing Abraham, the description is to remind those people, Abraham trusted and believed beyond reason. But once you get beyond reason, it's true trust. People easily make mistakes of of confusing civil righteousness for spiritual righteousness. And truly, this is a mistake. Our Lord and standards are for Christ's purposes. According to Paul, anything that is not of faith is sin. Government laws are valuable because they give a structured society but we must recognize they are still human and imperfect. When our society gives definitions of values toward man's behavior, we must seek to understand that the Christian's primary responsibility is not just to the civil society for our understanding. Our understanding must be focused, first of all, in what honors God. We are not to intentionally conflict with society, but we must seek out at all costs to know what is God's will. What is God's understanding of this situation or that? Verses 15 to 25, Paul continues to use Abraham and he says that the law was a type of promise. His distinction is clear. He spends time saying Abraham dealt with the promise of God. That he was going to bless Abraham and those that were in his seed to be able to impact the lives of the nations. And then he says, and after him, you know, 420, 430 years later, it's in verse 17, wherever that is, I can't remember, but he said, you know, then the law came along and Moses was dealing with the law. But the the law that, that we got presented, connected with Moses, did not wipe away the promises that were given to Abraham. The promise was that Abraham would bless the nations. A second stage was Moses coming and giving clarity through laws and rules and regulations to give man a structure to function. And then gradually, all of that was to prepare for Christ. And the Scripture is the one that points this out. And Christ was to bring faith and hope. A different kind of salvation. A different kind of justification. Verses 6 to 25, when I thought it through, Abraham was our model for finding righteousness, renewed relationship with God, by faith alone. Now the word by faith alone originally was a Latin term that we use, sola vita. Which, and sola vita was was a a, a reminder that came out of what Martin Luther pushed in his theology very heavily, that 
It was not ever a blending of works that got our salvation. Part of the issue there was in the Roman Catholic Church back in the day, and even to our day as we live here, quite often will combine works and activities with faith. And so the description there is by faith alone. If we follow the model, faith is our hope. We will be healthy. Following man's efforts will bring only failure and disappointment. Man's efforts aren't naturally tied to faith, so we fail to become spiritual, but remain secular rule takers. Christ went to the cross as a substitution for our sins. Abraham was chosen by God, and the Mosaic Law was as a guideline and standard leading to the Holy Spirit. The law often followed as our standards for living as, or, uh, in, uh, living as a Christian. It isn't useless, but it simply isn't adequate to get us to fellowship with the Lord. Indeed, to live by rules and regulations outside of faith is useless. That life is like trying uh, ourselves, tying ourselves up to suffer as a religious Christian. The law gave a direction toward faith, and now we have been set free in faith. Christ is the hope of VCBC as the Holy Spirit was given us because of the cross. The emphasis there is religion is not our answer. What we learn and knowledge is not our answer. Our answer may be found in the faith that we find in being dependent on Christ. For the Galatians, verse 10, was a great clarifier. As the concept of dependency on the law by a person was described as a curse. The point there being the reminder to you and me is that the source of our faith, the source of our Christianity, the source of our salvation, the source of our justification that allows us to come before the Lord as His son or daughter must be in faith. This was apparently a vital and important topic. If it was not, we wouldn't have the third chapter of Galatians. Paul could see that if people were confused on this and decided that working their way to heaven was the answer, they would still be lost. He focused on that which he saw as as vital. He knew that religiosity, following religion, was not the source of salvation, justification, and sanctification. He knew that man must learn how to be faithful and learn about faith. Questions for us. If you discovered that your best friend or a relative was lost, how do you think you would go about explaining the urgency that you have in your heart for them to come to know Jesus? I'm not saying that you're, you would run off and find a pastor or find a deacon or somebody and drag them and have them come and talk with this person. I'm asking you personally, do you have that sense of burden, that sense of urgency, that sense of concern that your best friend, that your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mother, your father, your uncle, your aunt, 
Does it bother you that they may not know Jesus? If that does bother you, what is your... How much does it bother you? Are you willing to run a risk in trying to find a way to reach them? He used Abraham. He talked about Abraham as his example. And he described the relationship and how Abraham, having a healthy relationship with, uh, with faith, helped Abraham to be able to follow God throughout all the difficulties. And it also described how Abraham's promise led to the law. And the law also having a type of value, but that the law could become a curse if you thought the law was enough. If you believe that the flesh and your knowledge is an answer for you to become a Christian, you are wrong. That's what Paul was screaming to them about, was to say, are you kidding me? Who bewitched you? Who confused you to ever get you to believe that salvation is dependent on your knowledge alone. The law is a prison. And it is short of giving you salvation life. The law is a prison. It gives you rules. It gives you regulations. It can confuse you. And it can give you false security. False salvation. Brothers and sisters, I'm saying this today because when I read Galatians chapter 3, I have fear that in our own church we may have people who live this kind of a life. The Holy Spirit must be the center of our faith. He moves on in chapter 3 to verses 26 to 29. Paul here approaches the Galatians with some words of encouragement. He says the gospel is good news. And he shares that with them to remind them that the gospel has positive things for us. All the divisions within Christ have been removed. And he talks about racial and social, um, sexual distinctions and says, you know, within, within Christ all can become brothers and sisters. And he says, isn't that a wonderful thing? There are great gaps between people within the world as based on races and finances, national origin, belief system, cultural grounds, etc. Yet our relationship with the one true God, the human soul, unites the need for a relationship with the Creator. Our problem is the shared reality that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all alike. There's no one in this room that doesn't have sin. We all have the same need. So in, again, looking at it from a VCBC perspective, in your faith in Christ, you are children of God and are baptized in obedience as a member of Christ's family. Neither race, status in society, nor anything else divide us within Christ's family. If our faith is our foundation in Abraham's family, we are natural persons in the family to inherit eternal life. All hope is found through our faith, not through our works. How do you value your faith? Is it tied to knowledge or relationship? Those were Paul's questions, and I think they must be ours. If it was that important to distinguish between working your way into God's graces 
are recognizing our dependence on Him for our faith, it's a significant issue. Is it tied to knowledge or relationship? Is your Christian identity based on faith, knowledge, flesh, or the law? Is it based on faith alone? Is it important to know the difference? For Paul to communicate with 2016 VCBC church goers, what would he have to say to communicate and shake our hearts? You see, we become passive. We become cold. We come and we sit and we listen and we do our responsibilities by coming and attending worship sometimes. Not always. Many of you are here for the right reason. Praise God. But sometimes we find ourselves not really focused the way that we should. What would Paul have to say that would communicate and, 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 and truly impact our heart? Do you need to reconsider what and why you call yourself a Christian? Faith or law, what do you practice to call yourself a believer? Our faith honors God, and God honors our faith. Are you a faith Christian or a law Christian? Only you know. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for the message that Paul has given us. We thank You for the challenge and the reminder that Christianity as a religion is not significant to us or even important. It is our walk with Christ as our Redeemer, our Savior, and our Lord that is important. Father, help us to understand what it is to allow Jesus truly to be the guide for the lives that we have. In Jesus' name.